Hello, and welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theatre Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerry Davis. Uh, welcome to the Into the Fire Burning Coal Theatre Company podcast on all things theatrical. Most of you know, or some of you know, that we have been doing an event each year at the Oakwood Cemetery, a uh, performance of a series of plays written by local playwrights about people who came before us, and many of whom are buried here in the Oakwood Cemetery. And we have a special version of that coming up this October, October 4th through 6th at uh, the Oakwood Cemetery in celebration of the 150th anniversary. And uh, toward that end, we have two very special guests today, Robin Simonton, who is the executive director here at the Oakwood Cemetery, and Bruce Miller, who is the official historian of the cemetery. He knows where the bodies are buried, literally. (laughs) Welcome, you both. Uh, Thank you for coming. Thank Thank you. you. So uh, let's start out by talking about this anniversary celebration. 150 years is uh, remarkable, Robin, and there are people from even further back than that here. Tell me a little bit about what's been happening this year in celebration and what's still to come. Well, um, you only turn 150 once, so we wanted to do it right the first time, the only time, Um, and we wanted to do it big and appropriate for a cemetery. Um, so in February, we kicked off our 150th year with a wreath laying um, at the first two burials of the cemetery. Um, done one before we were incorporated in February of 1869 and one after we were incorporated. Um, and we had um, the minister of a local church and a rabbi from a local synagogue help lay the wreath and say a prayer over those first two graves. I mean, that was a small, intimate event. We had um, some of the Mordecais, so the people who the land belonged to originally, descendants of original staff, um, board members, and, and some local families there for that moment. Um, after that, the, fir- the next few months, we did some of the things we've always done. We've, we partnered with you all for Burning Coal's um, production in the cemetery and Memorial Day, um, always trying to have a 150th spin on it. Um, and now we're gearing up for not only Burning Coal's return, this time to the fall, um, but also our 150th celebration at the Museum of History in October. And what is the date for that celebration? That is October 20th, the Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. Um, if people would like tickets, they can just contact me at the cemetery office. There will be a number of uh, people who, uh, who are buried here who will be joining us for that event. Yes, uh, um, um, Hallowed guests will be there, fine spirits, um, we like to say. Um, So we're very excited to have a little bit, you know, when you're a cemetery and you're celebrating a big milestone, you can do it a little differently. So um, some of our our permanent residents will be there, which we're pretty excited about. Enjoy the spirits. Exactly right. And and Bruce, normally when I do these podcasts, I say, uh, so have you been with the organization since the beginning? But I assume (laughs) that's not not the case with you. How did you get started uh, here at Oakwood? Sometimes it feels it, Jerry. Um, I, uh, I came on a tour uh, long ago, I, I, and I actually lose track of the time, but I've probably been 18 years or so. I came on a tour and I said, that looks like fun, yes. and uh, volunteered, and, and uh, I've been doing some version of that for since then. Did you, uh, were you living in Oakwood at yes, the time? Yes, I lived just blocks from here. Mm-hmm. My family and I used to come through Oakwood all the time. Perhaps I shouldn't say it, especially with Robin sitting here, but we used to fly kites, uh, have picnics. Uh, of course, there was more space 
then some of those days. <laughs> but uh, no, the cemetery has always been important to me and my family for the 40 plus years that we've been here. Well, I just want to say wherever I end up buried, I want there to be plenty of kite flying and plenty of picnics <laughs> exactly, and plenty too. of kids. So bring them on. Uh, Bruce, uh, do you remember um, the first story? Because you're, you're not just somebody who uh, trims the hedge or, or makes sure the gate's locked. You're, you're a curator uh, in, in, a, in a sense of the cemetery. You emphasize or you talk to people about what ideas or what stories should be brought to the forefront at a particular moment in history. Do you remember the first story here at Oakwood that really set you on fire as a, as a curator? Oh, heavens. Um, I, one of our stories is an ongoing one that I think I remember in part because you all did a play on it the first, during your first round here. And that was the ongoing debate over who the first one to be buried in Oakwood was. Yes. Uh, there, there are two contenders, um, and uh, one in the Hebrew Cemetery, mm -hmm. and the other just up here at the edge of the Confederate Cemetery. And um, the question is, how does one count this? Do you count? being the first buried here if it happened before the charter was signed, <laughs> right. before there was an official Oakwood Cemetery, or afterwards. So uh, that story you acted out one year, which I, I, whenever I think of the story, I think of your actors discussing that. And that you, uh, and, and those are the two people you were referring to about exactly. the, the, where the wreath laying took place. Who yes, were they? Indeed. Just to, is it Robert Andrews? I always yeah. get Robert Andrews was the one buried in February of 1869 before the charter, uh -huh. um, and Max Erlanger was was buried in August of 1869. So a big gap of time, but in the Hebrew Cemetery adjacent, well, inside of Oakwood, but mm -hmm. adjacent to the Confederate Cemetery. After the signing After of the, the charter, charter. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, and um, so that uh, that story is uh, a story of of a very human story of, of people wanting to be the first or wanting to be known for something. Um, there are many, many great uh, stories. Um, I'd love to hear the one about how the cemetery came about. I think our listeners would most be interested in hearing how this cemetery actually happened in the first place. And it, it had to do with the Civil War and the occupancy of the town, right? It's a story we tell many times, obviously, especially to people who haven't been here before. But uh, during the Civil War, Raleigh was a big hospital town. In fact, before the war was over, we had three military hospitals in Raleigh, including the main building at what was to be Peace Institute. Um, and uh, many of the soldiers were healed and sent back into battle, but many didn't make it. And many of those were buried in a Confederate cemetery about a mile uh, what, south uh, east of where we're sitting now. Right. And when General Sherman captured Raleigh in April of, uh, of 1865, he took over the hospitals and he also took over that cemetery and began burying Union soldiers among the Confederate graves, which made nobody happy. Confederates didn't want Union soldiers next to them and Union soldiers didn't want to be buried among the enemy. And uh, in fact, over time, the story goes that uh, as the national cemetery system 
came into being during the Civil War. The idea was to convert this one-time Confederate cemetery into a national cemetery, and Confederate soldiers were not invited into national cemeteries. So they were ordered, the city of Raleigh was ordered to remove those cadavers. And was that Sherman who, who ordered that? No, Sherman was gone by then, but that was a subsequent subsequent to him people the right. Raleigh was occupied till the 1870s so but uh, <clears throat> and in fact it was the ladies who created the ladies memorial association here in Raleigh as they did in cities all over the south to take care of confederate dead whom the national government wasn't going to bother with so the ladies of Raleigh got together created the memorial association went to the Mordecai family that Robin mentioned and uh, uh, Henry Mordecai wound up in effect giving them Two and a half acres, uh, uh, which became the the new Confederate cemetery, and the ladies arranged work details to disinter the bodies from the what was to become a national cemetery. The Raleigh National Cemetery is one of the early national cemeteries in the mm -hmm. system, and that was cleared of Confederates, mm -hmm. and uh, that's what began this cemetery and. <clears throat> Sometime after that, uh, General Anderson, who's buried up there under the first uh, obelisk, was transferred here by his brother. And I, 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 I'm imagining this, that Anderson's brother, William, and uh, Kemp Plummer Battle, who became the president of UNC, and George Mordecai, the uncle of the fellow who'd given the uh, land to Henry, the ladies, yeah. Henry, um, must have been strolling up there on that hill at the Confederate Cemetery in the process of burying uh, William Anderson's brother. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm envisioning them looking out over the now unused uh, hills and dales and tree forests and so forth of the Mordecai Plantation and right. saying, what a great spot for a cemetery where anyone can be buried military or otherwise. Right, and that is and what we have was today. The, that is what became the uh, Raleigh Cemetery Association mm -hmm. and eventually the charter uh, from the state legislature um, uh, establishing uh, what became Raleigh Cemetery Association doing business as Oakwood Cemetery. One of the things that I think uh, strikes people when they first um, come upon this cemetery is, is how absolutely beautiful it is. Robin, it, uh, to me, it doesn't feel um, overly orchestrated. You know, it feels like that it happened almost naturally. Do you know any of that history? Like, were, were there plans early on for the cemetery and did they uh, get added to? How did that happen? How did, how did the current look of the cemetery come about? Well, it's very different than its original intent. And we, um, as part of our 150th, our invitations actually have the original 1869 design of the cemetery in it. And I have heard from people um, that have received the invitation saying, I, I can't get over what, I can't even pay attention to what the word says. I'm too busy looking at the map. Right. You know, where, where are all these bodies of water? And where's all, you know, all these weird walkways that we don't have? Mm -hmm. um, so there was definitely a plan. Um, what was Englehart's first name? H.A. Englehart? 
H-A, right? Um, Englehart. Yeah, we don't know what it's for. He um, was hired and designed the first cemetery layout. Mm -hmm. But of course, the best laid plans, um, the cemetery was a nonprofit from the beginning in 1869. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that it was ever really going to look like it was drawn um, to. Because the funds weren't there. Yeah, the, um, I, I imagine the funds weren't there to have put all that into place. I mean, there were bodies of water out here. We have a great photo from 1870 of people of a man kayak, kayaking or canoe, canoeing in the water, in the pond. Mm -hmm. I'm like, really? I can't even picture that. But, um, but the plan, I don't think, ever really took shape um, but from the beginning it was there was going to be a chapel on our grounds there was going to be a Hebrew cemetery on our grounds I mean very much Oakwood very much even the way it looks today and the way it was designed to look in the 1860s was very much a garden cemetery so the rolling hills the curving roads um, even the bodies of water that were once here were all part of the, the style of the rural cemetery movement um, and just like with any great plan, as things change and grow and more people are coming into it, sometimes you just change the layout out of, um, mm -hmm. out of necessity. Mm -hmm. And so it's been added onto a lot over the past 150 years. Well, the result is, it feels like it grew, um, the old saying, like topsy, but, it, but there's something about it that, that seems organic to the geography here that uh, it, it, it doesn't feel like most cemeteries feel like there's a, a human design behind them and somehow this one doesn't quite uh, and it works better for my taste uh, than than those others that feel more manicured and and laid out is it something that you try to preserve as the person who's responsible for the cemetery we definitely try to preserve that feel of the cemetery you know right now we have an active family of deer that live here that i feel like i should put on payroll because they're so <laughs> wonderful to have they keep the grass trim exactly right they do that they eat all of our roses but they also give people something that our landscape cannot which is great peace um, and so I think that's a wonderful thing. We, we try very much to be the guardians of our trees um, and to be conscious of how many trees we have and, and growing more and making sure they're not on top of each other. Um, and we try to control as much as you can out here, you know. Um, but the feel of the cemetery definitely makes us different than the other cemeteries in town. And it's something that we dare, definitely try to be the guardian of. Many of the people buried here are people from centuries uh, past who were foundational um, um, builders of the city of Raleigh, uh, if not the entire state of North Carolina. Can you talk about a few of those, a couple of those that uh, stand out in your mind? Um, well, we do have seven governors that rest here. Um, North Carolina's youngest governor, David Swain, is one of my favorites. Um, played many different roles in his career, as well as the president of UNC Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. We have many presidents of colleges as well, besides him. Um, many U.S. senators. I, I mean, I, it's hard to name specifically. I think of more um, the cultural history. That's more my interest. Mm -hmm. So you see Jimmy Lee and Elizabeth Edwards and people yeah. who shaped our communities in different ways. Um, but I mean, from 1869 on, Oakwood is the place that um, those foundational people chose to be buried. Lorenzo definitely. Charles is buried here, uh, near, very near Jimmy V. Is Correct, that very near Jimmy V. Intentionally, mm -hmm. um, the property purchased by the Wolfpack Club um, so that he would be close to his uh, mentor. Yeah, that's really fantastic. That's a very fantastic story. Um, Bruce, um, what do you uh, see in terms of the, the history of the occupants of Oakwood 
um, past versus present. Do you see any changes that have happened? Have the stories become less interesting? Have the people become less interesting or more so? Or how, how would you uh, categorize the, the more recent occupants versus those uh, flamboyant older uh, people from past centuries? Well, that's, that's a hard question. Um, it's a broad question for sure, yeah. Um, but as I think about it, uh, when we give tours here, what Robin mentioned, uh, uh, seven governors, about that many chief justices and representatives and so forth, they're the people, some military people, they're the folks who get the attention. Yeah. Uh, they're the names that people remember, uh, people want to know about. Uh, I guess it's probably fair to say, and correct me, Robin, if, if not, people we get now are less of that sort. Um, governor Moore was the last uh, governor here, and he's a modern figure from mm -hmm. the 60s anyway. Yeah. But um, now we don't talk about politicos and chief justices and so forth alone. Now we talk about some of the folks that, that uh, you've already mentioned, like Jim Valvano. Right. He's hardly a politician. He's in a different realm, mm -hmm. much more public, social uh, uh, realm than the, these earlier folks. So I'm not sure the, I suspect, yes, there is a, something of a difference, at least in the people that, that guests to the cemetery, tourists to the cemetery, visitors might be interested in hearing about. There is a difference in that, yeah. I would say for sure. There's uh, maybe, in, at least in my lifetime, there's been less of a, uh, a, a, of a dramatic um, arc to people's lives because of the lack of wars and uh, the draft and that sort of thing. So people tend to live more uh, of a flat line in their life than, than the very highs and very lows that, that participating in a war, uh, for instance, might lead to. There are some people uh, in the cemetery that, uh, and, and you, you guys know much more than I do, but, but who had very uh, common, we, we might say, ordinary lives, but all, who also have extraordinary stories. Uh, the one that immediately comes to mind for me is the boy who put the um, cross on the steeple, right? Uh, there, you guys uh, introduced me to that story years ago. Uh, Red Upshaw, mm -hmm. who was uh, Margaret Mitchell's first husband um, and the model for Rhett Butler in Gone with the Wind, the woman who created, uh, was it Mother's Day? Uh, the co-founder of Mother's Day. Uh, right, mm -hmm. right, uh, and pushed for it to become a... Uh, an event on the calendar uh, nationally. So many sort of ordinary people, uh, it, it, one of the things I love about this cemetery is getting to know those people and, and coming to realize again and again how important and how dramatic people who didn't live those grand stories uh, can be as well. Can you talk uh, maybe either of you about one or two of those uh, type stories? Well, I think it's important to note, and you hit the nail right on the head, that that a lot of, the, most of the people buried here are famous only to their own families, yeah. right? And I think it's hard to know today in 2019 
who we'll be talking about 100 years from now who may have died in the more modern era because it's just hard to know how that will arc later. Um, but I have a favorite. He's buried in the cremation garden. Um, you know, little kids used to grow up and want to be NASA scientists, rockets, you know. <laughs> and there's a man by the name of Philip Brockman in the cremation garden. So he has a 10 by 12 inch flat marker, no 30 foot tall towering obelisk. Right. But he was a rocket scientist for NASA uh -huh. um, and had an amazing biography um, of all the things he helped NASA achieve. Um, and, you know, he's not uh, often on a tour route. We don't often go back to the new sections. Um, but someone that's worth mentioning, we have these great photos of him with, like, giant rockets behind him, you know, like dramatic black and white photographs um, from his early career. Um, and, I mean, I just think of how many kids, oh, I want to be a rocket scientist. And this guy was. And, and amazing, I mean, working for NASA. Um, so we don't often stop there, but... But I think of him as I pass by it and what his life must have been like. Sure. He's one of my favorites in the newer sections. What about you, Bruce? Well, uh, interesting you ask. Uh, what was it, a week ago, two weeks? I lose track. We gave a tour. We have enough folks here that we can tailor a tour to an occupational area. Yeah. And in this case, several weeks ago, we gave a tour on railroads. Raleigh was a big railroad town. It's Certainly. part of our history that I think a lot of us forget. But this cemetery is full of folks who had something to do with railroads. Mm -hmm. And we made sure, uh, as we aligned the tour, that um, we would cover the whole range of those folks. So we have, uh, under huge obelisks in some of our family lots, we have the great executives who who raised the capital and ran the roads. Mm -hmm. uh, A.B. Andrews, for instance, who was a friend of the president's and a great opponent of uh, Josephus Daniels, who's buried here, but Andrews had his own private rail car. So you have that. He's under a giant monument. Mm -hmm. And there are others like him. Uh, we have lots of engineers who have sort of middling, it's very attractive, but, but they don't have the giant tombstones that the, the executives might, the capitalists might, but very handsome ones. And then we included somebody on the tour, and I'll tell you, I can't even think of his name <laughs> without my notes in front of me. Sure. The poor fellow was an orphan, uh, grew up without a family. His wife died early. Two weeks before he died, as an old man, yeah. he uh, was robbed of everything he had. So mm -hmm. he died a complete pauper. Mm -hmm. He's up there buried amongst some of the wealthiest families in Oakwood. And what was his job? He was a decorator of the inside of passenger cars. Hmm. So again, you have the full range here, uh, this full range of stories that we have, not just about railroads, but about just about any other aspect of Raleigh life. Uh, and just as Robin says, m most of the people are not on any of our tours. Sure, uh, but they can find information about uh, those types of people if they are really interested. And how do you collect that data? Is it the families give you information when a person dies? It's or? kind of a combination of a lot of things. Um, first and foremost, Bruce Miller, the historian extraordinaire, has collected and created and written bios of I don't know how many people, a lot. Um, and so, so we have that resource that we can say, oh, what has Bruce written, Bruce written about them? 
Um, we also have um, obituaries. We have a collection of old obituaries. I have a volunteer right now who's for five years has been scanning obituaries in and putting them on our website. Wow. Um, and we have a website that is getting more robust every day. We also receive information from families. We have files. Um, each family has a file here, and um, so they may give us additional information. So we often sometimes will collect from the funerals their programs or bulletins, mm -hmm. so that gives us information. Um, we put it on, we have a phone app, so it's accessible for visitors if they come to visit and want to go on a tour, it's self-guided, they can do that. So we try to collect as much, and we're always doing research between Bruce and myself and volunteers and other staff. Um, we are always delving into the, the lives of people out here. I don't know about Bruce, but I'll go out for a walk in the afternoon, take my phone, snap pictures of people's stones that I maybe haven't noticed before, and come back and do the research to see if there's something about them that we just never stopped to look at before. Sure, sure. Um, so there's endless opportunities and ra many rabbit holes to fall down um, as we try to learn more about the 25,000 people that rest here. Every, everyone truly has uh, an interesting life. Mm -hmm. Uh, but sometimes the interesting parts of it are hidden away and sometimes they're more public. Uh, tell me again about the, uh, the date of the big gala. Mm -hmm. So our 150th celebration is um, Sunday, October 20th at the Museum of History. Tickets can be purchased on our website, historicoakwoodcemetery.org. Um, you just go to that homepage and what, what gets pulled up is the, um, the page to take you to the, um, the landing page. To what, what time does it begin? That it's day? at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. at the Museum of History, and that's October 24th, and then, 20th, Bur 20th. I'm sorry, October 20th, <laughs> and then Burning Coal's uh, a Fall Oakwood series, uh, celebrating the 150th anniversary, uh, will take place Friday and Saturday, October 4th and 5th, starting at 6.30, and Sunday, October 6th, beginning at 2 p.m. The show is about an hour and 10 minutes long. Tickets are $20 or $10 for students. If you'd like to make reservations, you can call us at 919-834-4001 or visit our website at burningcold.org. Or you can get tickets at the gate. Just drive inside the cemetery and you'll see us down the path a little ways. And yes, you will be able to park in the cemetery for the event. Bruce and Robin, we thank you very much for hosting us again. Uh, this is probably the 15th or 16th time that we've done uh, um, one of these uh, productions here, and we appreciate it very much. And we also appreciate all that you do to keep the history of our community alive. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for being our oldest program partner. <laughs> Indeed. It's been wonderful year after year to see you come back and act out the lives of some of our people. It's a gift to us to be able to see these people come to life, definitely. Thank you. We appreciate it. We look forward to the next. Thank you for listening. Our production of Claire Bailey's The Container will run from Thursday, October 10th through Sunday, October 27th. To purchase tickets or for more information, visit our website at burningcoal.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.